Hello and welcome to Such Sights to See, the podcast about journeying through cinema with my good friend. I am your host, Patrick, and my good friend is Eric. Follow us on Letterboxd. I'm Long Monkey, and Eric is Normal Monkey. Each episode, we pick a film to watch together and secretly pick something to watch on our own inspired by that choice. Today's film is... 65. Hello, Creepy Bear. <laughs> Eric is not talking to me, although that is a good nickname. I like it. He's talking to our recording avatar who records us. His name is Craig, the Creepy Bear. Yes. How are you, Eric? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I've been uh, finally moving away from horror movies since our last episode, watching some more lighthearted fare, which is always fun. You know, if you didn't want to, there is like a shocking number of Christmas horror movies or holiday horror. So if you wanted to keep the horror train going, you can. Yeah, it's a a surprisingly large subgenre. I think I'll probably watch one at some point. But for now, I'm just enjoying some some, uh, lighthearted classics. I watched White Christmas for the first time. 1954 musical with Bing Crosby. It's good. You know, not your type of movie, I'm sure, but full of Christmas cheer. I will cheer. never see that, and I, <laughs> I'm okay with it. I've come to terms with ever seeing that. Charismatic leads, some good musical numbers, um, great ending, a little bit uh, fractured, I would say, with the musical numbers being the way they are. A lot of them don't really have anything to do with the story arc which is not my favorite for musicals, uh, but they all do it. So you kind of got to get used to it. But yeah, solid, solid Christmas movie. White Christmas. Does it end with snow? It, spoiler alert. It does end with snow. <laughs> I never would have guessed. Yes. <laughs> How about you? Are we watching anything fun? Yeah, I have my annual tradition where on Thanksgiving, as soon as it strikes, the clock strikes, you know, eight o'clock. It's time for Christmas, so I will uh, try to pry myself off of my comfy spot in the couch. And we put on National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation and set up our Christmas decorations. And this year was no exception. And every time I watch that movie, I am struck by how well written it is. For for the kind of film it is, mm-hmm. it's kind of like a masterclass in setting up jokes and having characters who are crazy but in a believable kind of way if that makes sense like their their behavior none of these people are real people right cousin eddie is a caricature of like a trash person the trash person yes (laughs) the way he's written is like totally believable that if this person were real these are exactly the things he would do and the writing in that movie for something that is you know kind of crass in a lot of ways is so brilliant and so well-timed. It's almost like a time capsule because I don't feel like especially comedies are written this way anymore. A lot of comedies right. I feel today are still very funny, but but the style of humor is almost like a wink and a nod at the audience. Mm-hmm. Whereas everyone in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation is not behaving as if people are watching them, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, I can see that. 
they're like acting to each other, not to the audience. And it's just, right. it's kind of refreshing to go back and watch that style of movie that is kind of less prevalent today. Or, you know, even everything from these like tiny little scenes, like the two neighbors who are the worst Julia Louis Dreyfus and whatever that douchebag's name is. <laughs> um, sitting at the dinner table and just saying, well, where are we going to get a tree at this hour? And then boom, there's a tree through a window. I don't know. There's just something so predictable, but comfortable and like great about everything in this movie. Mm-hmm. And they set yeah, things up. The script sets itself up repeatedly where, uh, cousin Eddie, obviously I think everybody knows he kidnaps Clark's boss, but that stems from things that happen like 30 to 40 minutes prior. And it's like this logical progression um, mm-hmm. of calamity. And I just love mm-hmm. it. Yeah. I've, it's not one of my Christmas staples, but you know, it was written by John Hughes. I did not know that. Maybe that's why it's got such a, a, uh, a good script. Yeah, but I do if you want to feel really old. There's a scene where Clark gets trapped in his attic and he ends up watching these home movies. And my mind was blown because this movie came out in 1989 and he like, you know, he picks up the film canister and he blows the dust off of it. And it says Christmas 1959, Mm -hmm. 30 years ago. Well, I've had this Thanksgiving tradition since my family and I did it. I want to say probably 91 or 92 We've been doing that longer. The time that has elapsed since I've had this tradition is longer than the time that elapsed between Clark Griswold watching this home video and the movie coming out, if that makes sense. It, it I does. It, what I was trying to say. I completely understand the something that feels um, like it couldn't possibly be that old is that old for you? <laughs> it's just so striking that like, it feels like the 30 years between 1959 and yep. 1989 feels so much longer mm-hmm. than the 31 or two years that I've been doing this. Yeah. It's uh it flew by. <laughs> I get it. it. Death comes for us all. It's approaching quickly. I see him. <laughs> Well, I'm gonna. I'm probably gonna add this to my Christmas watch list this year because it's been a couple of years since I've seen it, and I don't know if my wife has seen it at all. Um, and yeah, the your description makes me eager to watch it again because I'm kind of tired of like the. I don't want to rag on Marvel as I as I like to do, but they got yes, that. You do. They, Let the hate <laughs> flow through you. <laughs> they have that like quippy dialogue where they are playing to the camera all the time. And you describing this as more old school is uh, does sound refreshing. Yeah. I hope I didn't over talk it, but it is like one of my favorite movies. I can watch this. I usually watch it twice a year from Hmm. November to to Christmas. So nice. Well, I watched my Christmas uh, tradition. I just watched it today, actually. Um, Klaus, the animated movie on Netflix. The hell is that? Um, it was, it's, it's, it's Klaus <laughs> came out 2019. Um, wow, that's a really long running tradition you have there. I've watched it every year since 2019. <laughs> so, you know, it's getting up there. <laughs> it is a story of, uh, a, in this sort of almost historical fantasy world, um, 
where this young uh, layabout whose father runs the Postal Service in this far up north country. Um, as a last-ditch effort to get him to do anything with his life, his father sends him, sends him way up north to the small little town at the top of the continent uh, to open a post office or die trying, basically. And this very inhospitable town with two warring families, he meets this lumberjack in the woods who looks like Santa Claus. And it's not the story. This is, he is not Santa Claus, but this is the story of how cr the Christmas traditions were born. Uh, and it's very beautiful. It makes me cry every time. The animation's wonderful. There's so much like love and spirit in this one. I don't know. It's just it's so good. I highly I recommend like Klaus. No, no. If you liked animated movies, you'd like this one. It's funny. It's got action in it, and it has very um, good script that kind of uh, does a lot of smart telegraphing of what's going to happen. It almost like feels like almost like a puzzle box. So you can see all this Christmas traditions falling into place and it has one of my favorite endings of all time. So yeah, check it out. Klaus best Christmas movie. Hmm. Can I plug something <laughs> I haven't seen, but I really want to please. I am really looking forward to seeing John wick, the Christmas story in violent night. John Woo, I'm so yet. excited. <laughs> just came out this week. I haven't gotten mm -hmm. a chance to see it this weekend with everything going on, but mm -hmm. man, this looks awesome. I love micro genres in general. Christmas mm -hmm. action is like second only barely to Christmas horror for me in my like little micro genre mm -hmm. um, thing that I love that I can't believe exists, but I still want more of. And like a legit, yeah, I, okay. So I, I Die Hard is 100% a Christmas movie. Agreed. My favorite Christmas movie is Rocky IV. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I like movies. That, there's a very strong argument that neither of those is actually a Christmas movie. I love right, right. actual Christmas movies that are horror or action. And this looks amazing. Well, I'm, I'm here for it. It's John Woo, it's who I love. And he hasn't made a like a straight action movie in a very long time so i hope he has one more banger in him that he could put on the big screen for us to watch so i'll be there i don't see how it could be bad yeah finally john woo and christmas together at last yes <laughs> it's only been 50 years we've been uh, waiting have seen, so long have you ever seen better watch out i don't think so you should look this one up and watch it. It's on like all the streaming services. If you like Christmas action horror, this should be a good watch for you this month. I'm excited to watch the original Black Christmas uh, in the next week or two because I haven't. I don't think I've ever seen that either. Oh, that has a classic scene that you um, you'll you will have seen this scene parodied a mi million times. It's on uh, Canopy, so I'm pretty excited to get to watch it streaming for free. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, th I found it to be a solid slasher, but I didn't think it was great. But that, that one scene, you'll, you'll know it when you see it. We'll talk about it next time. But uh, yeah, better watch out. Check that. Um, I do want to deviate quickly from Christmas movies because there's one movie I saw that I loved, which was not a Christmas movie. It was the movie called Bodied from 2017, directed by Joseph Kahn. It's a drama about a graduate student who 
has an interest in battle rap. This young white kid who is a very intellectual master's student writing a thesis uh, about this new form of poetry that he becomes obsessed with and slowly becomes integrated into this battle rap world where he starts rapping, battle rapping himself. And it is excellent, full of crazy energy and smart, smart dialogue and really great rapping. And uh, I like just... how basically the two whitest dudes on planet Earth now are talking about a movie about <laughs> rap battles. Yeah, right. <laughs> if, I recommend it. We're pretending to talk about film in the first place, but especially urban <laughs> film. <laughs> yes. Um, it is produced by Eminem, so it has some cred behind it. And it's full of real battle rap artists as well in cameos and things. And it's written by a real battle rap artist. So is it I definitely battle rap. Are you? Did it you just make that rap. up? I did not. Rap battle. I've been watching. I've been watching battle rap videos all week online. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Okay. I'm gonna get in that ring myself one day. <laughs> oh my! I would. I would pay to see that. So just just mark my words. Mark my words. So it is. Just a very refreshing, energetic piece of entertainment and full of social commentary. A lot of stuff about race. Obviously, it's, you know, it's about a, this white guy entering this multicultural world. And it makes fun of vegans. You'll love it. <laughs> it's, I just added it to my list. Yeah, yeah. I, so wait, it's, is this it's, basically Nine Mile? <laughs> it is kind of like... Um, like if Eight Mile was the dramatic uh, biopic, this is more of a um, I don't know, like an enter- social commentary as entertainment. <laughs> mm. So yeah, I am gushing about really this movie. Woke crowd. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It definitely kind of uh, makes fun a little bit of this. Like performative woke wokeness, you know, where people are mm-hmm. just being woke for the sake of it, and uh, yeah, it just it says a lot of interesting things, and it has a very interesting ending. So I recommend it. Bodied, Joseph Kahn. Uh, all right, you have anything else you want to bring up? I I don't. Okay, I think it's time then that we jump into our main topic for this episode. Yes, you picked the movie 65, written and directed by superstar team Scott Beck and Brian Woods. 65 million years ago, in a movie whose A-plus premise is completely ruined by the intro title screen in the first five seconds of the film, interstellar pilot Adam Driver crash lands on an alien planet, where he'll spend the next 90 minutes falling, grunting, whistling at children, and every once in a while, (laughs) shooting at dinosaurs in a race against a malevolent meteor hell-bent on ending civilization on this planet in a movie that has everything from the second greatest shoulder dislocation in history to an actual Chekhov's femur. The movie 65. (laughs) Well said, well said. Um, I think we first have to talk about the ending of our last episode where we were saying that uh, there was some sort of plot twist or something that was unclear in the trailer. So I not thought not a twist at all. Not a twist. No, that is true. I thought that Adam Driver, based on the 
the trailer and just what I heard, I thought Adam Driver was a human who went back in time in some way, like Planet of the Apes style, and ended up in dinosaur times. That is not true. And you said that some of the people you know thought something completely different? I had thought that, yes, this was about a human... I, I guess I didn't realize he was an alien somehow, but exploring <laughs> another planet that was Earth and having right. to shoot dinosaurs. Like, I knew it took place in the past, but somehow I didn't put two and two together that it was not a time travel movie, but also that he had to be an alien. <laughs> right, so yeah, we're um, on the same page then. <laughs> yeah. And what a wild... I love the concept of this movie. Yes, definitely. But I just don't... Every choice they made as to how to reveal information was absolutely the wrong choice. <laughs> Could you go I, back to your description about the first five seconds? Because I don't remember exactly what you're referring to. So the movie opens with a title screen that says, like, you know, before humanity existed mm -hmm. or something, yeah, yeah. beings explored space. And then they, like, tell you that Adam Driver is on this alien planet and he's talking to his wife on the beach and their daughter is sick. So he has to take this uh, job to pay for her medical treatments. Mm -hmm. And, like, they're very clear that he is going to Earth. And yes. his, well, he wasn't going to Earth, but he's going to somewhere. Um, this movie is rife with inconsistencies because at one point he calls it an exploratory mission, but it turns mm -hmm. out his cargo are colonists who are going home to their colony. So that's not exploratory if there's already a colony there, regardless. <laughs> um, he ends up crashing on earth because he crashes into, uh, an unknown meteor storm, which mm -hmm. obviously is the meteor that kills the dinosaurs 65 right. million years ago, which is a cool concept. If you think yeah, yeah. he's a human being and they reveal that at the very end of the movie that, holy shit, he's on earth. He's an alien. They give him a human, like a normal human name. His name is Mills. I'm like, <laughs> why is your name Mills? Why yeah, is the, there's a little girl. So, okay, let's like do like a quick plot recap because i feel like we never do a good job of this i always get too excited to talk about how stupid <laughs> some of these movies are All right, so basically that that's what happens that's the movie opens with this title screen talking about how hey adam driver is an alien and his daughter's sick he um is some kind of interstellar pilot unclear exactly what he's working for or doing but uh just you know taking this long haul trip to somewhere for some reason crashes on earth has to survive on Earth. He sees, like, his, his ship gets torn in half, but he ends up seeing the other half of the ship on a mountain, kind of uh, close enough to get to, but, you know, he has to fight off dinosaurs because 65 million years ago. He finds mm -hmm. one other survivor in this cryogenically frozen pod, and basically that's it. It's their struggle to get from his part of the ship to the other through the dinosaur infested wilderness to the uh, escape hatch so they can get picked up and rescued by, um, by whatever company or organization he's working for. Yeah. I'm, sounds good on paper. And I, I want to start off by saying I did enjoy this movie, <laughs> but it is a bad movie. Okay. Yeah. It was it not is, a good movie. It was not I, a good movie. I want to go back to the Adam driver as an alien thing, because 
they yes, his name is Mills, and him being an alien had nothing to do with the story. There was no interesting like alien stuff. You know, he was basically just a human <laughs> uh, from another planet. Like there was no there was no real. They didn't do anything interesting with that part of the story or the character. Yeah, well, so what I was saying, like, his name is Mills, the girl's name is Koa, which sounds exotic, but that's just a type of wood on this planet. <laughs> there are four characters in this movie total. I don't remember his daughter's name, but it's nothing crazy. Like, they don't bother no. giving them crazy names. No. They don't even name the wife. It's so funny. If you look in the credits, it just says, blah, blah, blah's mom. I, I don't oh. remember her daughter's name. Yeah, and I'm yeah. just like, why? But, so I had to watch this movie with the subtitles on because I was watching it very late at night and my wife was trying to sleep. Um, mm-hmm. But they did weird, weird things. Like there was some world building here that was totally unnecessary. Whenever mm-hmm. the girl is speaking, she does not speak a, a, a language that Adam Driver can understand. And he goes out of his way to say, my translator is broken. I can't understand you. But then repeatedly just like talks to her as if she can <laughs> no, he's understand He's always him. talking to her. He's, he's always, always trying to talk to her. her <laughs> and she does understand it sometimes, like when it's convenient mm-hmm. for the movie, which is another yeah. one of these weird inconsistencies that this movie mm-hmm. is just rife with yeah um but they named the language because in the subtitles it says like speaking mizrahi or whatever the name of the language <laughs> is and i'm like why would you bother naming this he right. even says in the first scene where he's like do you speak this language and he like rattles off two or three languages that she also doesn't mm. speak and i'm like why are you bothering none of this is interesting <laughs> like i didn't bother to name the mom who was one of only four people shown on screen mm-hmm. I, it was just it was wild I, I i enjoyed it it was not i think just because i'm biased and i love movies where people shoot dinosaurs yeah i mean it's a it's a it's a good genre but <laughs> um it's such a paint by numbers movie too like that, you could yeah. almost see how everything happened because there are scenes that like they felt like i feel like what a horrible sentence that was i feel like there are scenes in this movie where you could see them saying like you know what we need a scene where the guy and the little girl bond oh i know we'll have him like hit himself on the neck and splat this big bug and say shit and kids love people love when kids say adult curse words so we'll have Mm -hmm. her do that and that's like they're bonding you know Mm mm-hmm yeah, it had every scene that you would expect. And while I was watching it, I was like, okay, I know that what scene is going to come up. You know, I know that they're going, I know exactly where this movie's going, like towards the end when they're about to escape. I'm like, okay, you know, I know something's going to go wrong. And I know that she's going to find out that he lied about her parents. And like, you see it coming a mile away. And I just found it just not fun to watch those scenes because it's almost a chore like, Oh, they got to get through these scenes before mm-hmm. another dinosaur shows up or whatever. I felt like <laughs> it was contrived in a way that was insulting at points. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like uh, there's a scene where he has this cool futuristic, you know, screen like they can do anything. Yeah. The tricorder. Um, <laughs> yeah. And he's just like out of nowhere, it says, lost signal because it's the it's kind of guiding him towards the other half of mm-hmm. the ship and i'm like what signal there's no si- you don't have internet on a planet that's uncharted like there's mm-hmm. no signal 
it's clearly so he'll climb up this tree so he can fall out of it and fight dinosaurs. It's Mm -hmm. like you could see them in the writer's room being like, he hasn't shot at a dinosaur in 20 minutes. How can we make this more tense? What if we have him dislocate his shoulder so he can like not shoot the gun for a couple minutes? Yeah, yeah. How do we do that? Let's have him fall out of a tree. Well, why is he climbing a tree? Uh, Maybe he lost a signal that has not existed in the movie up until this part. (laughs) Right. Like there are so many more ways you could have organically gotten to a point uh because Adam Driver is falling every three minutes in this movie and grunting. (laughs) He is. is. Like (laughs) it just felt so this is so we can have this scene. Yeah. You can feel that you, that's exactly, you can feel the writers being like, okay, we need to make this happen. So let's just make it happen. And the second best shoulder dislocation outside of best of the best. I really wanted the Adam driver to say, pop it. <laughs> I was thinking of lethal weapon. Oh, that's a good one too. So this might be third. Maybe best. this is the third one. <laughs> yeah. It just felt- yeah. I forgot a best of the best that you're right. That is the best. Best of the best shoulder pops. Pop it, Tommy, pop it. <laughs> But yeah, insulting is a, or just, it didn't care. It knew it had Adam Driver fighting dinosaurs. And that's like, that's all it was banking on doing. And it did everything else that you would expect well, in the I most annoying, boring that, way though. possible. Mm-hmm. I feel like they were, I feel like the big problem with this movie is it didn't know what kind of movie it wanted to be all the time. Mm-hmm. It kind of like shifted tones a bunch from, like, this is fun action to, well, now it's serious and depressing because it's Adam Driver trying to process the loss of his daughter who, spoiler alert, dies despite him going on this trip. I thought that was a big mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like if they were going to have her dead, that should have been his motivation for going on this trip and then bonding with this little girl. Mm, uh, I thought that would have been a much better kind of way to handle it. He's running away from the pain and then... Mm-hmm you know, becoming the father figure to this other little girl, like would have been a much more organic, cool relationship instead of, you know, hmm. um, okay. there was some darkness. There's a scene where Adam driver's going to sh- blow his brains out in the very beginning yeah, of the movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of like, but then it has that funny, like, Oh no, a bug bit me shit. And then the little <laughs> girl is saying shit. And it's like kind of goofy. Sometimes it can't yeah, yeah. make up its mind of what it, really wants to be what it wants to lean into. And it just kind of goes middle of the road. Yeah. It just kind of tries to do all of those things and doesn't do any of them particularly successfully, mm-hmm. but I, I still liked it. I mean, I didn't <laughs> like, I enjoyed watching it. You're a simple man with simple pleasures. I am dinosaurs, guns. <laughs> well, I would say I like, I was thinking about uh, Overlord, which I talked about last time, and that one does go full whole hog into what it's doing. It's crazy. It knows it's crazy. This one didn't seem to like want to just commit to one direction. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if it did that, it would have been better. And also you have what could be an all time great twist at the end of a movie if you think adam driver is a human in the future just you know long ship trucker whatever his actual job yeah, is yeah. and like you get he crash lands on this alien planet there are some dinosaur like creatures mm-hmm. and he's like it's the same plot 
But then at the end, a Triceratops or a Tyrannosaurus shows up. And you're like, yeah, something wait, recognizable. Yeah. And then there's an asteroid and you're like, holy shit, he's on Earth? This is the mm-hmm. past? Like, it's so fun and so cool. And this is like, am... nope, we know exactly what we're doing the entire time. <laughs> I completely agree with that assessment. My only issue, though, is I still am annoyed that this alien was basically just a human. Their world was just Earth that they came from. It even had bad health care. Like Earth does, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yeah. That, I didn't. I I pulled that from someone else's letterbox review. I didn't come up with that, but it's very true. Like it just, it doesn't feel alien in any way. So I don't think know. That if... technically counts as early stage or late stage capitalism, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, I guess I uh, you know late stage, but yeah, I'm not an economist, so I. That was my main problem. And if we did it your way, which would be a super cool twist, I might feel cheated. I'd be like, well, why is he an alien? He's human. <laughs> like, he looks human. He's acting human, etc." Like, Yeah, would... the big problem I have with my twist also is, like, I kind of liked, I, I don't remember if it was Prometheus or the other alien prequel where they showed the seeding of life. Because that would be mm-hmm. kind of a cool twist, too. If somehow... You know, there's all those like wackos on mm-hmm. the internet who think that life on Earth was seeded by aliens. Yeah, like yeah. if Adam Driver was that guy, but then yep. that doesn't really fit because humans or the primates that humans evolved mm-hmm. from, I'm not sure if they were around 65 million years ago, and they certainly would have been, you know, little Adam Drivers running around. Um, right, right. That's another wrinkle that they could have like somehow maybe clumsily yeah. fit in. Yeah, a um, tiny monkey crawls into his spaceship and puts on a helmet or something. <laughs> uh, can, we, can we talk about one thing that always bothers me in these movies? Please. It came up first in Prometheus, and they did it again in this, where I know you cast an Adam Driver and you want to see his face, mm-hmm. right? But these yes. guys are like, well, the atmosphere is breathable. Guess I'll take off my helmet. And I'm like, I know. Come on, man, you're going to die. Like, mm-hmm. even if Adam Driver ends up on this transport, he's a dead man. Mm-hmm. We had a genocide in this country that was completely accidental when we just brought like smallpox over from Europe. Yeah. There were like millions of. So that's not even. That's like the same planet. You're talking about God only knows how far away you are. There are so mm-hmm. many micro. You would just die. Like, please stop doing that in movies. Right. <laughs> or come up with a reason why they're not just going to immediately get sick and die. It's one of those things. I mean, it's one of those things that you got to accept it because I can't think of an easy way around it besides some like needless exposition about why it won't kill him. Yeah. I'll just assume he has alien tech that says it's safe from microbes. Yeah. He also didn't have tech except for what would be convenient. Yeah, I know. The tricorder did exactly what he needed it to do and nothing else. <laughs> or the camping scene. There's a scene where they have to camp overnight and he sets up this perimeter. Mm-hmm. And by perimeter, I'm saying like a 10 foot diameter circle of these things that are like motion detector or something. It seems like. Right. Yeah. It's unclear. But they don't but yeah. have sleeping bags. So he's just like, I'm like, <laughs> why, why is there no survival kit or what happened mm-hmm. to it? And why do you just have these things or your sweet yeah. acorn grenades? Right. Which I have to say, we're not very powerful when they went off. <laughs> they were not. 
uh it was it was weird that yeah he just had like random stuff from this exploratory mission on the ship uh, yeah i uh, guess you need grenades when you're exploring yeah you never know when you might have to blow up some fauna <laughs> exactly <laughs> so yeah overall i found it a chore to watch i did enjoy some of the the more baser uh images of you know dinosaurs and laser guns and stuff but Story-wise, it, it it didn't get to me at all. So, a cool concept wasted. I gave it two stars. I would give it two and a half, just because I realized how bad this movie was, and maybe mm-hmm. I was just in the right mood. Yeah. I laughed out loud several times. I'm pretty sure I wasn't supposed to at the time. <laughs> yeah, I was laughing. Probably. But it, it was enjoyable. It was not like, uh, how did this get made level bad movie? No, not at all. Not or at all. Like, uh, what, like, it wasn't like a 2012... Or uh, Moonfall. Right, yeah, there's not much... It was kind of actually similar to those. Like, on a less epic scale. Yeah, they're a little... They have some wild things in them that are just more interesting, I think. This didn't have that. This was just more like, just middle-of-the-road bad, I felt. Yeah, exactly. Like, it wasn't so bad that it should have been enjoyable, but for some reason Mm. I did enjoy it, despite its flaws. Two and a half stars. Cool. All right, I guess we should move on to what we were inspired by. Uh, would you like to go first this time? Uh, sure. I watched a movie, so I was really upset that I've already seen After Earth, because that is the perfect kind of parallel I know, uh, movie yeah. that shares DNA with it. Instead, mm-hmm. I came across a movie that was... I don't know if this is on my watch list, but I know I bought it for the library, and I've kind of been intrigued by it, called... Love and Monsters uh, from 2020, directed by Michael Matthews. And I'll just read their little synopsis on uh, Letterboxd. Seven years after the monster apocalypse. That's really hard to say. Yeah. Joel Dawson, along with the rest of humanity. They're basically, li- I'm, I'm not reading that whole thing. They are living <laughs> essentially in Fallout vaults because it opens with a really cool animated thing explaining how we got here which makes no friggin sense at all um Mm -hmm. there was a meteor coming to earth or an asteroid rather coming to earth so they chose to blow it up with rockets but then the molecules from the rockets rained back down on earth and caused animal mutations Mm -hmm. so there are all these giant animals it's fallout basically it's fallout there are like giant animals that are trying to kill humanity so a lot of humans have started living in underground vaults. I'm not sure why those existed in the first place. <laughs> um, it, the main character is played by Dylan O'Brien, who you might know from Maze Runner and a couple other things. It's a kind of fun, quirky movie. He's living in this vault. He got separated from his girlfriend. Um, so it's seven years into the future after these events have occurred. And he is kind of this useless guy who has no skills He basically mans the radio in this vault and cooks a really good minestrone. Um, But everyone else in the vault is kind of like these badass survivalists, and he's just kind of there along with them, doesn't have any skills. He decides uh, he's the only single guy. He's like a spare, spare wheel. So he decides that he wants to go and find this girl that he was in love with seven years ago. Very odd choices at parts in this movie. Um... It comes out, Dylan O'Brien is 30 years old. He looks like a late 20s, 30-year-old man. Mm -hmm. 
they don't do any kind of like even makeup to try to de-age him, but it comes out that he was 16 at the time, so he's supposed to be 23. There's no way in the hell this guy is 23, even living <laughs> underground. Like he doesn't look disheveled. He just looks like a catalog model uh, trying <laughs> to find his way across the landscape. So just weird. I don't know why they did things like that. Michael Rooker is in this as uh, an amazing survivalist that he meets kind of in the wild. And shockingly enough, the little girl, Koa, totally unplanned, is Michael Rooker's little uh, tag along. So that actress, uh, her name is escaping me right now. Give me a second. Um, Is in both movies, which was totally unplanned. When I saw her, I was like, I couldn't have done this if I tried. Ariana oh. Greenblatt, who has been like the little girl in so many that. things lately. She was young Gamora and she was young Ahsoka Tano in the, the recent oh. series. Okay, I did recognize her as Gamora now that you mention it. Yeah, and I was like, this little girl looks familiar, but she looks totally ratty. Um, so it took <laughs> me a minute. Yeah, it it had me for the first two thirds of the movie. I was really enjoying it. A very odd tone. Um because it was quirky and funny, it's like trying to be this kind of action comedy with like some really kind of poignant moments as this guy is trying to survive in this wasteland kind of almost entirely occupied by monsters. He meets a dog along the way. I had to stop the movie to go to doesthedogdie.com. <laughs> Tough. Yeah. Really mad. And I just, <laughs> I need to know when I'm watching these movies, if the dog right, dies, prepare yourself. Upset. yeah. Like if I know the dog dies, it will still upset me, but at least I'll know. Um, yeah. The dog does not die. So there it is. They do have a falling out, which was kind of funny. There's a scene ripped straight from uh stand by me where he gets covered in these giant uh monster leeches <laughs> yeah leeches uh what he has to swim in a in a river for a second yeah. overall the first two-thirds of this movie are great and then he gets to where he was trying to get to and there's a whole other act which is just kind of i don't know unnecessary i thought it should have been mm-hmm. more about the journey rather than the destination and what happens after he gets there, which probably doesn't go the way I think a lot of people would think it does. Although maybe, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, I would still give it three stars. I thought it was fun. It was funny, but yeah, just, you know, it could have been so much better than it ended up being. I heard about this movie when it came out, it was getting a lot of traction during the pandemic. I think people were watching it. Um, but yeah, uh, maybe I'll check it out someday, but it doesn't sound like something I'd be super interested in, but it does fit the bill better than 65. It sounds like <laughs> I liked it more than 65. Um, I mean, I can think of far worse ways to spend about an hour and 45 minutes or so. Right. Right. And uh, you know, Michael Rooker is one of those actors where I will just watch anything he's in. I love that guy. That Ever since true. the Days of Thunder, um, just anything he's in, he just brings like such a life to, I think. Yeah, yeah. And he plays a really good haggard survivalist, let me tell you that. Yeah, he looks like that in real life, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they had to do much in makeup for him. <laughs> uh, all right, well, good pick. I went the dinosaur route. I was like, I want to see more dinosaurs. I want to see the dinosaurs that I like. I want to see Ray Harryhausen dinosaurs, classic special effects artist. 
So I watched from 1966, One Million Years B.C., directed by Don Chaffee and starring the fur bikini-clad Raquel Welch. Oh my god, so you watched the uh, Jurassic Park movie. Not Jurassic Park, Shawshank Redemption movie. Yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, this is a, a classic because of her outfit, I think. I don't think there's much else here besides some solid dinosaur effects by Harryhausen. This movie was pretty bad, to be honest. It is about... First off, it's 90 minutes, 100 minutes or so. And it starts off with maybe a 10-minute montage of like the birth of the Earth, like volcanic eruptions and molten lava and like grand vistas of mountains and oceans and stuff, uh, with a narrator talking about the birth of Earth and how there are multiple tribes of proto-humans living across the land that don't really know of each other because they're too busy surviving in this harsh landscape. And it focuses in on one of these clans, and the narrator says, and this is where our story begins. Why do we keep coming back to the Tree of Life on our podcast? <laughs> it's so it's an movies. all-giving. Yeah. Tree of Life copied from One Million Years B.C., I swear. Um, but that's like the last dialogue of the movie, because after that, no narration, and we're following these cave people who speak in grunts and motions, and sometimes they utter their names or say like a, a weird foreign word that only they understand. But the real character is uh, John Richardson, who plays Tumak, the first son of the leader of this tribe of hunters. And they are a very violent tribe that hunt animals, and then they all basically fight over the animal in their cave at the uh, once their hunt is done. And there's a very much a lead-by-strength mentality of this tribe, where they're pushing each other around to see who's the strongest. And Tumak has another brother who wants to be the leader, but their dad is in the way. Tumak gets in a fight with his dad and gets basically kicked off a cliff. And almost dies, but he survives and decides not to go back to his clan. And he wanders the desert landscape for a long time. Finally arrives at the ocean, covered in blisters, where he sees a group of uh, swimming and uh, fishing fur bikini-clad women, led by Raquel Welch, who rescues him from a giant sea turtle, nurses him back to health with the help of the rest of her clan, her clan is in great shape. They farm, they fish, they're very polite, they make weapons, they make jewelry, they're smart, they teach their kids. And he's like, what the hell's going on here? <laughs> so it's a, like a fish-out-of-water thing for a little bit. But he saves them from a dinosaur attack and then gets in a fight with their leader and gets kicked out again. But this time Raquel Welch decides to go with him. And it's I'm not going to go through a whole plot, but it's just like... Him and Raquel Welch just wandering the landscapes, fending off dinosaur attacks, trying to grunt their way to understanding with their different tribes. And it is interminably slow for a lot of it. There's a lot of poor writing and a poor direction and poor performances. Raquel Welch is good. She looks good in the bikini, I'm not going to lie. And I can see why you know, people have looked, made a poster out of that and made it into a, an, into a, like an iconic image. 
But besides that and the Harryhausen dinosaur effects, there's literally nothing worth watching. It did bring up an interesting question in my mind because I felt that uh, 65 was a bad movie that was just boring and uninteresting. But One Million Years BC was a bad movie that was boring but had like really interesting things in it. But it was also really bad, like worse than 65. So I was like, which one is better? Is it the one that's like clearly incompetent, but has stop motion dinosaurs that look awesome and has wild scenes with Raquel Welch in her bikini? Or is it 65, which doesn't really have that many interesting things, but is, you know, perfectly fine throughout the whole movie? I'm not sure where I fall, but I, I, I don't think I enjoyed watching One Million Years BC as much as 65. So I gave it one and a half stars. Uh, such a missed opportunity to have all those pieces and just not make a good movie out of it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel the same way about 65. Yeah. So, uh, there you have it. Dinosaurs, monsters, more dinosaurs. I think we should pick something for a next episode, Eric. Well, I think I did. Okay. I'm really hoping I'm not being trolled. I just spent a long time looking through your to-watch list. And I came mm-hmm. across something called Adult Swim Yule Log. Because it feels like we should watch something in the spirit of Christmas. <laughs> and I'm really yes. hoping that at 91 minutes, this is not literally just a Yule Log crackling for 91 minutes. It is not. It is a Yule Log video that turns into a horror film. So, yeah. Perfect. Sounds great. I could and not it, tell. I, I was even kind of like skimming the reviews and i can't tell because sometimes the letterboxd much like reddit community can be very funny in writing ridiculous reviews that don't actually talk about what the movie is about and i was like are these people writing these reviews because this is just 90 minutes of a yule log or not but it is adult swim so i have high hopes it, it, it might be the description is only get in the holiday spirit with this cozy crackling fire and i'm a little nervous I literally know nothing about it. I just know that it's a Yule Log video that maybe gets interesting. So, All right, let's hope so. Because if I sit there for 91 minutes watching a crackling Yule Log, we won't have a whole lot to talk about except for my rage. Such sights to see, along with my other projects, can be found on ProLeary.com. On Letterboxd, I'm Long Monkey, and Eric is Normal Monkey, because I'm longer. Thanks for listening, and as always, have a good night and sweet dreams. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater.